Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello, you lockdown lovelies. This is it. The moment you've all been waiting for, the return of live football. And they've equalised. And guess who scored it? The substitute, Erling Brat-Harland. Bayern Munich have the advantage again. Robert Lewandowski. Plays into Sancho at the edge of the area. Gets it back. Oh, what a goal! Also this week, Bournemouth's Adam Smith on growing up with Harry Kane and Ryan Mason, donating to his local hospital, and the mental health worries that lockdown brings. A former EFL owner says the league will need to restructure completely to save itself. Why would you put at risk a whole organisation? I don't get it. We also have the former Manchester United great Mark Hughes on wanting to get back into management and he's happy to go anywhere to do it. Plus more Hertha Berlin fun facts, obviously, and Derek Ray on what to expect this weekend. All on the Getting More German by the Minute game day podcast from TalkSport. This is game day. Hello to one and all. Alex Crook, TalkSport's transfer and news guru, and of course, like me, newly converted Hertha Berlin devotee. Ha, oh, hey, Hertha BSA is with me. Hello. Ah, oh, hey. That's oh, good. <laughs> Are you ready for Saturday's huge match with Hoffenheim? Last time we, we played them, they beat us 3 2 at our place. But this is the first game for Bruno, Bruno, Bruno Labadia, our fourth coach of the season. Optimism? Uh, well, listen, anyone called Bruno is a winner in my eyes. And uh, I was going to say, before you gave me that scoreline, I expect goals. In fact, I expect goals in all the Bundesliga games this weekend because they can't defend in Germany. We know that. It's going to be thrilling. Let's hope so. Uh, one more question for you before we get into uh, the top stories. Oh, actually, do you know what? I'll let uh, breakfast show host Laura Woods do it. Um, Alex, sorry, we've um, sort of oh, run out of time. Sabotage that, yeah, yeah, you just hijacked it. Having a go at Scotland as well. I can't believe you did that. Um, uh, Alex, have you got a little one or? Um... <laughs> uh, yeah, well, well uh, just one that Freddie can probably relate to. Um, this is Virgil talking. <laughs> uh, did that fluster you a little bit? Uh, could you tell by my reaction? It was one of those where I didn't know whether to try and make a joke back or, um, you know, just try and ride it out. I think in the end, I probably did neither. No, I don't think you did. Um, did, did you speak to uh, Laura about her inappropriateness afterwards? Uh, we did have a bit of a Twitter exchange, and I think we're both expecting to uh, make an appearance on H&J Clips of the Week on, on Friday. <laughs> Me too. OK, let's get to the top stories. Um, Alex, have you got a little one? Newcastle fullback Danny Rose has hit out at the Premier League plans to restart the season, suggesting that football shouldn't even be spoken about until the numbers have dropped massively. The Professional Footballers Association says it has heard from a number of players who have real concerns about restarting the season, while London Mayor Sadiq Khan 
has said it's too early to discuss restarting sport in the capital. Professional sport can restart on June the 1st thanks to the announcement by the Prime Minister earlier this week. He said being able to hold sporting events behind closed doors would provide a much-needed boost to the national morale. Premier League clubs look set to win their battle with the government over the use of neutral stadia. And finally, Odia Nagalo's future at Manchester United is unclear as his loan from Chinese club Shanghai Shenhua is supposed to end this month. Well, the big question is, is is probably surrounding the footballers now. It seems to be in their court. Um, do they want to go back? Are they rightly a little concerned about their safety? I understand there are enough that are nervous about going back at that this might not get off the ground in the Premier League just yet. And with the UEFA deadline for the decision on the future of what's going to happen in the leagues to be resolved by May the 25th, the Premier League look as if they're heading towards setting on a points-per-game basis or some other metric unless they can get the players buy-in. I know that they had a consultation with the players on Wednesday each club. A lot of them are going to have questions. I mean, the only hope, I suppose, for the Premier League is that some of those have been answered by the, the very impressive Deputy Chief Medical Officer, Jonathan Van Tam, who also joined that call. Um, but some of these things aren't solvable. Yeah, I'm, I'm torn on this. I, I think this weekend in, in the Bundesliga that we're going to discuss in detail later will be a big indication of whether or not Operation Restart is a goer. I think if Premier League players, listen, it's nat- natural they have concerns about passing on the illness to their loved ones and particularly vulnerable elderly relatives. But if they see it goes off in Germany with no problem, I think that will allay a lot of their fears. And I, I guess it, it depends on your standpoint. My standpoint is that playing a football match when everybody's been tested to prove that they're virus-free is no more of a risk than queuing up and going into a supermarket, maybe picking up a jar of pickled onions off the shelf that someone else who may have been carrying the disease has picked up and put back. So I think we've got to get a bit of perspective here. Football does need to restart, like every other industry, sooner rather than later, or the economy. And, and you know, football is a business, much like anything else, is going to absolutely fall through the floor. I do think there's been unfair pressure put on footballers um, from government and from our members of parliament because I don't see any other industry, even a sporting industry, being discussed quite so openly as football. I I don't necessarily go along with football having a moral obligation to try and lift the morale of the the country. No, I think it is about the finances. I think the reason it's been spoken about so much, though, is because it is the national game and it is the most popular sport and therefore dominates a lot of people's conversation. Um, The neutral grounds plan has so much opposition. That doesn't look like it's going to happen now. The logic being Germany are doing it, so why can't we? The Premier League said, actually, threw it back to the clubs and said, well, ask your local police because they're the ones who've stipulated neutral grounds. If you go to your local police... ask them and they come back and say you can play at your home ground then 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 maybe that might be a possibility and that's certainly I think where we are now with sort of it being a more localized decision but just because one might turn around and say yes doesn't mean all of them will say yes and actually as far as I understand it just because one club might not be able to play at home doesn't mean all of them might not be able to play at home. Well, that's an interesting development, isn't it? And that's going to be fascinating to see how that plays out. I I do think maybe this goes back to the stigma that has long been attached to football fans going to the sort of hooligan days of the 70s and 80s. I was speaking to someone within a football club a couple of days ago and he made this point. You know, football fans for too long have been treated like second-class citizens, um, guilty until proven innocent, I think is very much the approach by some authorities. And basically the reason that 
some police don't want the games to be played at home venues is because they're worried that football fans will develop some mob mentality and gather en masse outside the stadium. I think we have to credit the majority of football supporters with having just a little bit more common sense than that. Yeah, um, I think the same that I said on Saturday during the Saturday sessions after the comments from uh, Detective Chief Constable, Deputy Chief Constable Mark Roberts, who was talking about the, the need to play behind closed doors and at neutral venues. The behind closed doors thing I think has now been accepted, but neutral venues doesn't look like it's going to be. Um, I'm told that meeting was quite inconclusive, by the way, on Monday with the Premier League um, authorities and the the clubs. A lot rightly rests on the players being convinced it's okay to return. You mentioned it a little bit earlier on, and Sean Dyche has has said that this morning in one of the papers, that players will be safer playing football than going to the supermarket. The only thing I think we must make sure that we do have it at the forefront of our mind are the concerns of the BAME players and make sure they're listened to because with what evidence we do have at this moment in time pointing to an increased rate of severe sickness in members of that community that must come into consideration as well Uh, this is a a story that's going to be constantly evolving so stay tuned to talk sport for all the key updates and uh, I'm sure it won't be too long before Crook or I pop up on a show or two over the course of the next few days Let's get to the live football then and speak to Mr Bundesliga himself. You've heard him on NBCS, ESPN, the Bundesliga World Feed, BT, FIFA 2020, everywhere. It's Derek Ray, ladies and gentlemen. Guten Tag. Hello, guten Tag. What a wonderful introduction, Sam. Thank you. How are you? Okay. Uh, how, how good is it for, for us to have the Bundesliga back and have some live football to watch? Um, I imagine people are looking forward to it all across the world. Yeah, I think there's a sense of relief for most football fans, irrespective of their country, that football is coming back and it's high-level football in the form of the Bundesliga. I think for me, the only regret is that it's going to be projected to a wide audience, but it's not going to be the Bundesliga as we know and love it. Because, Mm. of course, a big selling point is the atmosphere and the fact that it is the best attended football league anywhere in the world. But as you said, we have football coming back and we'll take that for now. It's interesting you mention that because everybody here is, is getting very excited. We've all adopted German teams. Uh, this podcast has taken on Hertha Berlin under our wing. But is it in danger that it might just be a little bit flat with no live studio atmosphere? And what are teams doing to try and combat that? I think it's the unknown, Alex. I think um, it's something fairly new. We did have a, a ghost game, a Geisterspiel, as they say in German, just before lockdown between Gladbach and Köln. And that was a bit of an eye-opener because we are so accustomed to uh, the sound of the Bundesliga, not just the feel and the look of the Bundesliga. And it was decidedly different. So we are going to have to get used to this new reality for a while. Uh, We don't know exactly for how long. And what we will see in certain venues uh, will be cardboard cutouts of fans. Now, Gladbach, Borussia Mönchengladbach, have been particularly active on that front. And it's actually worked very well. Local firms have got involved, so it's created a few jobs. And essentially, you can uh, have your image um, inserted on a cardboard cutout and be in its usual place in the stadium. So there's that. Um, one of the rights-holding uh, broadcasters 
in Germany has initiated a system whereby you can press a button and get chants and songs and atmosphere related to the two teams involved. So, so that, again, is something new. But uh, again, it, it really is ground zero and it's, it's football in a different form. Um, Spain is very technical football. England, I think, is, is, is regarded as quite fast and physical, increasingly bettering its technical ability. How would you describe the football in Germany? I think, Sam, it's closer to England than it is to Spain. I think it's high-tempo football. I think that's been a big feature of the Bundesliga in the last few years. It's young football, and I say that because young players get their chance uh, in their teens in a way that you don't see so much in the Premier League. So it's, it's particularly bold football, I would say. And, you know, critics might argue that the defending is not of the highest quality always, although there are exceptions to that too. It tends to be high scoring. It tends to be teams going for it. And I think the trend in the last few years has been for the pressing and counter-attacking game. And so many clubs, Leipzig would be a good example of that, have made that system their own. So it's really all about um, not necessarily having the ball, but winning the ball back around the halfway line and three or four passes later scoring. And there are quite a few teams who play that way, but there are still a few teams who prefer the old possession-based way. Uh, Bayern, the defending champions and the, the record champions, would be the best examples of that. Let's talk about Borussia Dortmund. Big game on Saturday. Um, they take on Schalke Nulfia. Um, just explain why this is a huge derby. Well, Sam, I think what people probably need to know about German football is we don't really in Germany have the derby culture that is such a feature of English football or, or Scottish football. Dortmund and Schalke are two industrial communities who really have a lot in common, the cities of Dortmund and Gelsenkirchen, in the traditional industrial area of Germany in the northwest. And, um, you know, they are just 30 kilometers apart, so 20 miles or so, and they really do not like each other at all. Um, I think it's fair to say. Uh, there's no reason other than the fact that it is tradition, and of course you're talking about coal and steel in the old days, and things have you know been modernized in recent years, but that rivalry uh, is still very much there. And there's actually, this tells you how much they dislike each other. Dortmund fans often can't bring themselves to say the name of Schalke, and Schalke fans can't bring themselves to utter the name Dortmund. So there's a sort of a code they have for this derby. Instead of Dortmund Schalke, they refer to it as Ludenscheid Nord against Herne West. And that's basically taking two communities that are near each city um, and, and, and using a geographical reference to avoid saying those particular names. But it is the Revier Derby, um, the big derby in Germany. I have to tell you, it's my favorite derby in the world. Um, so many great memories of having commentated on games in Dortmund and in Gelsenkirchen involving the two of them. But again, this is going to be a, a derby with a difference. The first ever Revier derby without fans inside. Yeah, that's the big game of the weekend. <laughs> it's fascinating there, you yeah. explaining the rivalry. What else should we, we be looking out for? Maybe those of us who aren't accustomed to watching the Bundesliga on a week-in, week-out basis. Again, this is going to be different for all of us because normally I'd be telling you, yeah, you know, Bayern are going to the southeastern part of Berlin to face Union, who are the newcomers in the Bundesliga, a team from the former East Germany. And, you know, they have an atmosphere that is a complete throwback almost to the 1960s, where it's mostly terracing, uh, where 
the, the whole fan culture is about. But again, you're not going to have fans inside the, the stadium there, the Stadion uh, and the Altenförsterei, uh, which if you ever get the chance to go, you know, if we get back to your situation where fans can be inside a, a venue, go there. It's a tough ticket to get. I was there for the relegation playoff against Stuttgart last season when they made it into the, the top division. And they are historically the team of the, the trade union movement in East Germany. So a lot of the dissent that happened in terms of football in East Germany, a lot of the, um, the, the problems people had with the former government there came through the, the trade union movement and, and often through Union. So the fact that they're now a Bundesliga club really is a dream come true for so many. So that is a game that is, is well worth watching. Uh, that is one of the, the Sunday matches, for example. And there's a Monday game as well between Werder Bremen and Bayer Leverkusen. Werder Bremen, a, a very traditionally followed club, but in real danger of going down. They have the worst defensive record of any side in the Bundesliga. They're a bit unhappy because um, due to local restrictions in the Bremen area, they haven't been able to train on the same level as most of the other teams. So they haven't been able to, to move to full contact training as quickly as the others. They really wanted another week to prepare for the restart. They haven't been granted that. So they go into action on Monday against a good Bayer Leverkusen team. But it'll be well worth watching all the uh, the top teams and all the, the middle ranking teams and all the, the teams in, in relegation bother. And I think a lot of people will discover new dynamics. Yeah, absolutely. I, I guess you raised a point there um, in terms of fitness because players have been away for a while now. Was it eight weeks, seven weeks since they last played in the Bundesliga? Is there a concern that these early matches when they go back might not have the same intensity because maybe players are still trying to feel their way back to full match sharpness? I think most people would concede that it, it is going to be different, that it's going to take players a while to readjust. And, you know, if you think about it, at the start of a normal season, if players only had a couple of weeks of full contact training, then we'd probably be hearing about it and clubs wouldn't stand for it. But these are exceptional times and everybody within the Bundesliga structure has wanted to try to get back as quickly as possible. It is a matter of survival for some of these clubs. So that's why this is being done. So, you know, we'll see what the, the standard is like. We'll see what the fitness levels are like. There's been a bit of concern among some, some teams that there's an element of unfairness with regard to how quickly teams have properly got back into the, the full contact situation. Now, there have been league-wide regulations about that, but of course you can't you know, monitor every single team at every single moment. And to, to use the Bremen example again, they are in a slightly disadvantageous situation because of the political situation in Bremen because they weren't allowed to return to full contact training as early as some of the other clubs. Exceptional times, as you say, Derek. Exceptional insights as well from you, uh, really getting us geared up for the Bundesliga returning this weekend. Thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Loads of football nostalgia doing the rounds at the moment. Yeah, I watched Euro 96 uh, revisited on Monday. Do you know what? My favourite thing about it, and this is how sad I am, was was not the match itself, because let's face it, it wasn't England's finest performance, certainly not in the second <laughs> half, but it was the build-up and the simplicity of the build-up. Um, and, and it did get me thinking, maybe now in the modern era, do we overcomplicate the way that we watch football? Because it was just, you know, three or four guys sat around in the television studio. Top uh, you guys had a, as well, by the way. Uh, oh, great, great cast list. Although I can see why Sir Alex Ferguson's media career didn't last too much after that tournament. He wasn't the most convincing or enthusiastic. Uh, but you had someone else interviewing celebrity fans and, and personalities on, on Wembley Way. It was just great, really. And I'm really looking forward um, to the next game against Scotland because I think for many people that was probably even more than the Holland game the highlight of their England watching life that Gaza goal is so iconic and the celebrations afterwards yeah it was but it will never get better than the uh, 4-1 against Holland never it was just superb um, I watched a bit of the Premier League years from the early 90s 92, 93, 93, 94 United with Hughes and Cantona in that team what a team what a what fantastic a team, team Kuchelskis, yeah, yeah, uh, I spoke to Mark Hughes actually this week for the upcoming uh, episode of the Upfront documentary series and asked him what he's been up to and what's coming up in the future. Uh, we started off, though, talking about what he's been up to during lockdown. And we've been in this house for 25 years, so you can imagine uh, the accumulation of rubbish and stuff that needs clearing out. So A few medals there as well, I would have thought. Yeah, well, there's a few behind me, but most of them are in the Man United <laughs> Museum are safekeeping, but... Um, uh, I've had a break now from obviously managing. It's been over 12, 14 months, I think, now. So uh, I think that was important for me, irrespective of obviously having the lockdown. Uh, even before that, I was just regrouping, so to speak. I've been in professional sport for 40-odd years, and, and I worked it out one week uh, looking back on my time in, in the game. And uh, I think there was one stat that I'd only ever had time off in, in July and August, back-to-back, back, three times in 40 years. So uh, possibly it was time to have that break that I needed just to regroup and refresh. And is it still something that you want to do? You want to get back in again? Yeah, very much so. I, I, I still feel I've got the energy, still feel there's, there's more work to be done. Uh, I don't think I'm, I'm at the end of my time in the game. Um, like I said, I've been in the game for a long time as a player and a manager, and it's it's what I do, it's what I am, it's... Uh, it shapes me as a person as well. So, uh, yeah, I'll know. I'll know immediately once and if I, I get another role, which I'm more than hopeful of. Um, I'll know quite quickly whether or not uh, I'm done or not. But uh, I don't anticipate that will be the case. Uh, Bundesliga looks like it's going to come back before everybody else. You've had a bit of experience playing in that league. Will you be watching? It? Are you one of those that is desperate to see some live football again? Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's, it's Difficult times for everybody involved in football and being a player, manager, uh, the support staff surrounding and not least the fans as well because uh, there's a real desire to get things back to normal but that's not clearly going to happen for a long, long time. So uh, any little taste of, of the game as we know it uh, will be very much welcome. So the, uh, in Germany, 
that they've been able to to set the tone and, and get back to play uh, once again is going to help everybody else to in terms of how we approach it when we uh, decided to go back. So uh, I'll be watching it with interest. Uh, yeah, I think everybody's who's involved in football misses the just watching games, watching the, the action unfold and Phil be in front of you. So uh, we'll be able to get a little bit of uh, satisfaction in that regard, thankfully. Would you go back and manage in Germany now? Well, given the opportunity, um, yes, I would. I mean, the world's a different place, as we know. So uh, how that's going to work out in the future for football, I, I don't know. But um, yeah, I'm, an, I'm a, a different guy now. I'm at a different stage in my life as well, in terms of my family's grown up, my, my children are older. We've got grandchildren, obviously, but uh, that's a different situation. But uh, I'm free, really to take any opportunity wherever it presents itself. So that's that's a good thing from from my own professional point of view. Great striker. And that episode, which we will get to you soon, is absolutely mint. I do hope that he gets his feet under the table again at a club and is a success as a manager. He was a brilliant, brilliant player. And I mentioned beforehand watching the goals that he scored in 92-93. He had spectacular goals just constantly spectacular goals and you know one of the things he cherishes most is the player of the year awards that he got from the PFA because you know that is the moment that you are told by your peers that you're the best guy in the league yeah and he was the master of the volley as well wasn't he I remember probably my favorite Mark Hughes goal actually not not particularly memorable maybe for a lot of United fans but they were on the verge of losing the FA Cup semi-final um to Oldham. Oldham yeah and he scored right at the end of the game. It was a magnificent volley at the old Wembley from miles out, rocketed into the top corner. We smashed him in the replay, went on to win the FA Cup, went on to win the double that year, I think. And it was um, classic Mark Hughes. And I was re- I was actually devastated um, when he was sold to Chelsea following the arrival of Andy Cole, because I love Mark Hughes. Yeah, he was, a, he was a big Chelsea fan, he told me as well. Uh, there's stuff to talk well, about Well, I won't hold that against him. <laughs> And he talks about that goal in detail. And he talks about why he was such a good volleyer of the ball as well. Um, that's going to come up very shortly in an, uh, an episode of Up Front. Uh, by the way, if you um, subscribe to this feed, you'll get all the episodes of Up Front. Troy Deeney, Gary Lineker, we've already had on the programme. Dimitar Berbatov was excellent. And this week, uh, we spoke at length to Celez Ferdinand as well. All those episodes are available for you now. Hello, Adam. How are you? I can hear you. You all right? Yeah, how are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Not bad. You okay? Sorry, I just need to uh, set up here. I was just playing my son. No worries. Thank you very much for doing it. Appreciate it. Hey, no worries. No worries. It's not like I've got much to do anyway, so... (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Adam, let's get stuck into it. We hear that you've been doing some great stuff, you and the Bournemouth players around the local area, but you've been doing something closer to your heart as well, haven't you? Basically, obviously, we've done the players together with all the Premier League players, uh, we were donated into into that part. Then uh, Simon Francis obviously come up with uh, doing a donation to a local Bournemouth refuge, which was um, a nice thing to do. And then I just wanted to do something on my own. Um, I spoke to to my girlfriend and just come up with the idea of donating iPads to my local hospital because obviously I heard stories that you know, when the COVID nineteen's patients are seriously ill, they can't see their families, and obviously, when when some people are dying, they they can't see their close ones. And um, I just spoke to her about that, and we just come up with an idea to buy some iPads because you know 
people FaceTime and their families and just thought that would be a good thing to do and, and bought some earphones with it. And so I just contacted Princess Alexandra Hospital. They said they literally just set up a system so that FaceTiming can be easier for everyone. Um, so it's good timing to, to buy the iPads. Obviously, it's, it's not the same on your phone. It's quite small, isn't it? So, yeah, I just contacted Apple on that and, and bought the iPads. And then I just thought it's a nice thing to do into my local hospital. Um, and have you had any feedback from the hospital itself about the, 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 the usefulness of it? And, like you know, patients sort of saying how much it has helped them? Because I can imagine, you know, you're in that situation. You're isolated from everybody else. All you want is human contact. It's great. Yeah. The, the nurses and the, and the staff of the NHF have been absolutely brilliant sitting with people mm. when they're really struggling. But there's nothing like your family, is there? I put my, I was trying to put myself in, in their situation and not to be able to see my, my own son and, and my missus and the rest of my family when I'm isolated in a room, potentially could be serious and, and pass away. And and I just thought, just to do something nice like that, I think I think would go a long way. And yeah, I just I just couldn't imagine being in, in that room on your own, knowing potentially you could you could die, you know, and, and not even see your family members. So yeah, when I contacted them and they they said it was a great idea and I haven't had any feedback as yet as I just sent them last week. So I think they'll all set it up with the, the Wi-Fi and I'm sure I'll be hearing feedback of how it's getting along with the patients and hopefully it's um, yeah, it makes a small difference, like I said. It's a really nice thing to do. Do, do you think this lockdown has, has made you reevaluate life? I mean, you, you talked about your own family there and certainly from personal experience, I think we're all guilty sometimes of mm. when we're wrapped up in ourselves and our own careers, maybe taking our own families for granted. A little bit and I'm sure that's the case in, in, in football as well yeah I, I totally agree I mean football is in its own bubble I think and it's, it's actually been quite refreshing to, to spend time with with my family especially my son because I don't I don't see him all the time I, we're obviously traveling and training all day but since obviously this lockdown I think I've um, connected with him more and I've got more of a bond with him I also you have time to think what is important in life and football is definitely not the most important thing in life. You know, it's, it's a great uh, thing to have as a job. I know I'm lucky to, to have it and be able to play in the Premier League. Don't get me wrong. And it's great entertainment for everyone else. But it's, it's, it's not the most important thing. You know, health and, and happiness is, is the most important thing in life. And, you know, and watching your, your kids grow up and, and having good times. Like, it's just, yeah, football is definitely second on my list. And, yeah, it's made me realise that family is the most important thing. You began your career in the Spurs Academy. I know you're big mates with, with Ryan Mason. I think you were pals with Harry Kane as well. Have you guys been in... I mean, Sam and myself have been having Zoom video chats and quizzes and, and beers. Have you been doing stuff like that with Ryan and, and maybe Harry? Do you know what? I actually ain't. I mean, I've had a few conversations with the lads at Bournemouth as well to do a few nights and um, quizzes and that. But honestly, as, as a dad, it's just non-stop. You know, my son don't go to sleep till about eight o'clock, so... By the time he goes to sleep, I'm absolutely shattered. So I haven't really, uh, I haven't really had time to be honest. But yeah, nice. No, it's it's uh, I know a lot of people have been doing that, and yeah, it's a shame I couldn't really do it. But I've just been so busy with with my son and and just enjoying family life to be honest okay well 8 30 monday nights we uh, have a quiz team and we regularly mm. have a, a a spot open we've we've we've, yeah. we've, we've taken troy <laughs> Dean, Tro, we've taken troy Deeney on twice 
um, in the last couple How of weeks. How did that go? We beat him twice. Easy. Easy. Really? Yeah, we thrashed him both times. You know? <laughs> There's a bit of rivalry between Bournemouth and Watford as well from yeah, when you is. came up there together. We love a draw. Yeah. Every time we play him, it's a draw. So... Well, don't be joining our team and drawing. You know, we're, yeah. <laughs> we're only there to win. Okay? So you can come yeah, along and play with us. <laughs> but what, what what's your specialist subject? Because, you know, we need some we need people who've got different facets. I think you I think you're asking the wrong person, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you ask the lads at football, I don't think I'd been at the top of the list for quizzes. Uh but you know, I give it a go. I'm I'm quite good at um knowledge on tennis, to be honest. Oh good, we need that. We need that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I like my tennis, so I'm I'm quite good at knowledge on that. If mm. we were to pick a member of the Bournemouth team to join our quiz team, who's the most brainiest player in the dressing room there? Andrew Sermon by far. Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. He's a smart guy. He went private school. Really smart guy. Mm. Another of your ex teammates at QPR, Mark Pugh, is writing his own cookbook, isn't he? Have you ever have you ever experienced <laughs> any of his delicacies? I follow him on uh, on Instagram. He's uh he's up every day, six o'clock doing a, a a ten mile run, always playing with his kids, like dad of the year. Um I don't know where he gets the energy oh, from. Oh, I hate those guy. people. <laughs> no, he's just he makes me feel a bad dad. <laughs> the videos he does with his kids doing this, doing that. I mean, uh, he's a dedicated guy. In terms of um, what you're doing to occupy yourself uh, in the evenings, you, you've got box sets and stuff like that. But have you uh, thought about the things you want to do as soon as lockdown is over? I do think about that a lot. You know, I'm, I just turned 29 now, so I'm coming to towards the back end of my career, I would say. You know, five or six years, hopefully I've still got in the game. Coaching, I'm not too sure on if I'd want to be involved in that. Maybe I was looking into maybe like property or something like this. I've been doing doing a lot of research on just bits and pieces. I've just been I've been looking on the internet, but I'm really not sure what I'm going to do. You know, it's just it is quite difficult for players to to know what what they're going to do after retirement because you've got a feel in this lockdown of what it's going to be like if if you're not working anymore, you're not playing and. It is um it is a lot to get used to and it is a little bit scary. Have you found that from a from a mental perspective? Because sometimes it can be dangerous if you've got too much time to think. And obviously yeah. we've all got a lot of time to think and, and that's not yeah. really been explored, you know, the mental strain that it takes on players at this time. Yeah, I'm also for me I'm a deep thinker, so I'm always I don't know, I just I'm always thinking at home and yeah, it has made me realise just I need to prepare something for when I retire because I don't I don't want to be just sitting around and and not doing anything, you know, because I will see mentally you will fall into maybe, you know, a deep hole and I wouldn't want to do that. And um, even the interaction with the lads I've missed, like having the banter every day and it is, it is difficult. So I've been thinking about a lot what to do when I'm, when I'm finally hanging out with boots, but I'm, st- I'm still not sure. And, yeah, I can imagine it can be very difficult when you retire and what to do. Let's on on a more cheery note because it was five mm. years ago this week um, that you boarded that open top bus and paraded around Bournemouth yeah. on the seafront. I mean, everybody in Bournemouth came out that day. It was it was incredible. I mean, just incredible. Looking back now, what did it mean to you? Hundred percent the highlight of my career, yeah, by far. I mean, I mean, um, yeah. To, on that on that day, I did not think the whole beach would be four people. You know, because Bournemouth is quite a, a small club, isn't it? With you know, there's we ain't got loads of supporters, and I don't we get like. 11,000 in the stadium and I don't honestly don't know how many people were there that day. It was, it was incredible. We'll never forget it. Um, and, and five years, I mean, it's just absolutely flown by. It's scary. 
Yeah, and and if you look at the team now, I mean, you mentioned Andrew Sermon, Steve mm. Cook is still there, Simon Francis, Arta Borac is, is still very much part of the dressing room as well. Junior mm. Stanislas, Callum Wilson, a lot There's of the players that. that you came up with that are still there. I mean, that bond between you must be mm. really strong. Yeah, I think I think we see each other as family. You know, we've we've come up from the championship together, and you know, we've had difficult seasons every season in the Premier League. You know, a lot a lot of people write us off every season. Yeah, we, I think we've got a real bond with each other. And I think that's what's helped us get through these seasons, you know, is, is, is that bond and that team spirit. You know, it's been probably the most difficult season this season by far. Um, I think we've had a lot of, there's a lot of situations that have contributed to um, us not doing well potentially with the new, and a lot of new players and a lot of new young players and that bond we've got, we've got with each other and, them great memories we'll have for the rest of our lives. Just one on David Brooks, because you mentioned the the young players. You, you, when he's fit, will come up against him directly in training. Is is he someone that you think can go right to the, the very top? I said it I said it from day one when he first joined, what a talent he was. And you saw that in his first season in the Premier League. I mean, he's honestly got everything. His balance, his left foot, um, he scores, he assists. He's still only, I think, 21 or 22. So... Honestly, yeah, I could see him going to, to a top team, definitely. Obviously, it's been a, a difficult situation for him this season with, with his ankle injury, um, which has been, a, obviously, you know, a hindrance for us as well. You know, we he was a big player for us last season. And, um, yeah, I think we've we've had a lot of injuries to a lot of big players this season, and that's obviously not helped. Great stuff. Adam, thanks for that. Brilliant, really mate. Good. Thank you. No worries. Nice to see you and uh, good luck over the rest of lockdown. Cheers. Have a good one. See you later. Cheers. Bye. Bye. No game day, no football, which means no work for our illustrious team of commentators and reporters who heartily travel up and down the country. For TalkSport, trying to give us their wisdom, insight and knowledge on a regular basis on a Saturday. It means they're stuck at home in commentary confinement. Let's check in with Jim Proudford, one of our top Premier League commentators who joins us on the line now. And Jim, I understand you've been learning about dinosaurs. Uh, well, today has been uh, learning about the habitat of a diplodocus. <laughs> oh, I hope you've got worksheets, buddy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I feel as though I've seen every bloody worksheet that every primary school child has ever been issued. I oh, think I've mate. probably worked through. I was looking at the uh, the Times thing. It's really good, the Times thing, that they do like a worksheet for like different subjects for different yeah. years. It's so good. But I did think, well, I don't think I could do this myself. <laughs> no, I did one day of it yesterday and it's, it's, it's quite frustrating, isn't it? Just keeping their focus. I don't know how teachers do it with multiple kids in a classroom. I don't know how the teachers do it with my kid in the classroom, let alone multiple kids <laughs> in the classroom. Um, now, obviously, no football to commentate on. So have you resorted to commentating on anything else that is going on in your life? Do you know what? I haven't. I know that most people have. Um, I've resisted the temptation, I, I'm going to be honest. No, not at all. Nothing remotely commentary-based over the last six, seven weeks. Have you missed it? Have you missed football? I've missed football. I've I've missed... The going to games, uh, I mean, you know, it's our working environment. We're very fortunate. I miss the people. I miss, yeah. uh, I always get to games like you guys do very early. And because I don't work in, a, in an office, that is our sort of office environment where you're seeing people that you know, and it's different people 
week by week. Obviously, Sam, you and I do a lot of the same games, so we will we will see each other. Uh, and, and Alex, you and I don't live that far apart from each other, so we we often see each other um, at, at games down on the south coast. But wherever you go, there are ten or fifteen people that you know. And it's just good to be in a position that you can, um, you know, sit and chew the fat. And I, I've missed that. I've, I've missed the, the, the sort of sitting, having a laugh, just about the most stupid, ridiculous things. And of course, I've missed the football as well. And I've missed the, the adrenaline of broadcasting and being on air. Obviously, it goes without saying the right decision was made to, to call it off when they did. And um, you just have to hope that they make the right decisions to, to bring us all back at the right time as much as anyone can gather on what is, is clearly probably an imperfect science but they've, they've got to, to put people's health first that, that goes without saying Jim thank you very much we appreciate you Pleasure. coming on no, and hopefully we'll see you very soon at yeah. a neutral ground somewhere <laughs> near <laughs> <Absolutely>. you <laughs> hopefully a neutral ground near me would be fantastic yeah. as opposed to a neutral ground up in the other part of the country yeah. Absolutely. good stuff yeah, cheers yeah. Jim Brownford thank Jim. you very much thanks guys The EFL has concluded that its season will have to be curtailed and that means that the division will be settled by a formula yet to be decided. But the long-term health of the league has come into sharp focus over the last couple of weeks with many clubs furloughing staff and players in the lower divisions and some warning that they may go out of business. Just how likely is that? And what would that do to our national game? Let's speak to Tara Brady, who was the co-owner of Southend United and now leads a large financial services business in the City of London. Tara, you know the finances involved with the EFL, what it's like to be involved with an EFL club on a day-to-day basis. What is your view on what will be the long-term effects on clubs in League One and League Two? So I think I think if we just focus on one and two, um, I think all industries out there are suffering at the moment. It's very bad. But I do think football fare better than most. Um, is not as bad as many other industries. And if you look at the FTSE 100 over the last 30 years, only 25% of the companies today were around 30 years ago. You compare that to the Football League, about 90% of the Football League, well, the the four divisions, 92 uh, teams, are around today that they weren't before. So positively, football is much more sustainable and robust than other industries. So what do I think they should be doing? Absolutely right. Stop the season now in terms of physically stop the season. All logistics stop. Maybe end of July pre-season. Uh, integrity has already gone in the business. So if you were to play any games, there would be no fans, neutral grounds, different players after the end of June. In addition, it actually cost the clubs more money to put the, put the games on because uh, the fans are not going to be bringing the revenue in. And on top of that, if you tell them now, do it in a structured way, there's ways they can actually reduce costs further. So overall, I think they're making the right decision, give one, give two, stop the league and focus on next year. And how they work it, either void, my personal opinion, it should be voided, but that's more as a fan uh, versus um, doing some sort of formula that they all vote on and agree. Are you saying that some clubs have to go under in order to maintain the culture of the sport? Are you saying that that is just a byproduct of what of the way that the sport is organised in this country? And if you were to change that, you'd have to change the whole ethos of everything surrounding our game. Yeah. I think both. I think this is now an extreme situation we're going through because of the virus. So it's 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 in a enhanced the issue. But and so more clubs will go under definitely. But we definitely don't want to be a franchise model. We don't want to be like US sport that are so over-regulated, so over-governed that there's no up, uh, relegations or promotions. Uh, the best 
player coming up to the grounds goes to the worst team. We're, we're not that at all. That's just not the way we're, we're structured and our culture would sort of support that. We, you know, but, so when Parry says premiership should be paying for the lower leagues, it's just ridiculous if you think of other industries that operate. You know, it'd be like British Airways saying they're going to bail out Virgin Atlantic just because they're having a bad couple of years. It just doesn't work like that. You wouldn't want Leicester City, who worked hard to get where they are, suddenly being a contributor for South End United because South End United's finances aren't in shape. So, um, yeah, I, I firmly agree. As a byproduct of our, our culture, our structure and our pyramid, um, this, this is, this is going to happen. This is going to be a consequence. But... Um, I do think there are areas for improvement going forward. Rick Parry sat in front of the DCMS last week and spoke about a reset. Um, why do clubs pay their players so much? And since you were in charge at South End, how has it increased? I mean, let's be completely honest about it. They spend so much of a percentage of their turnover on wages that it is now crippling. It is, and... Um... I know what I was paying, what, what the players were getting. It was, it was uh, about, this was the time we were in Division 2, we got to the top of Division 2. Um, our wage bill was about, is about uh, halfway in the league in terms of um, cost for the, the, the players. I believe it's around fourfold of that now um, in terms of the wage bill, particularly with the, uh, the coaching staff as well. So, so, you, so just to, just to um, clarify, you think that the, that the wage bill has increased Four hundred percent in what eight nine years? Yeah, I do. At least, at least three hundred percent. Yeah, I do. Wow. Why would you do that? And has football got to change why that? Why would you do that? <laughs> well, why would you do that, Sam? And there's two sides of that. First of all, why would you do that? Even if you had a well coached, well structured uh, formula for getting out of that division, which clearly South didn't have it because they're at the bottom, rather right the bottom of the table. But secondly, why would you do that anyway? Why would you? Why would you? Why would you put the finances of a football? Why would you put your football club at risk? Why would you do that? As an owner, I don't know. I can't. I can't fathom it. I get the need to want to please the fans. I, I completely understand the, the the human nature to just want to do what's right for what they believe at the time is for the fan base and just please, please, please. But why would you put at risk a whole organisation? for a few players to give them more money. I don't get it. Tara Brady there, the former co-owner of Southend United. And there has been a meeting in the last sort of 24 hours with the EFL as well. And you've got some sort of significant sort of time frames about that. What's been happening? Yeah, basically the EFL have held their regular meeting today, Wednesday, uh, to decide what's going to happen to the Championship League One and League Two. It's particularly pertinent when it comes to the bottom two divisions because I think clubs now are resigned to the fact that they're not going to be able to fulfil their remaining regular season fixtures. Um, there's another conference call planned on Friday between the 71 member clubs when various proposals will be put forward as to how they can determine the final league table. That could involve points per game. It could yet involve end-of-season playoffs. My understanding is clubs will then be given the weekend to go away and make a decision and that a final vote will be carried out next week. Well, those final votes will need to be sorted out in the next 12 days for the Premier League and for the EFL because the UEFA have put a deadline on it. So it is coming. The The decisions are coming. But they're taking their time, which is probably a, a good thing. Uh, just a couple of other bits and pieces uh, doing the rounds this week. Any other business? Here we go. Um, the uh, fantastic Die Welt uh, sports Twitter feed on uh, a big German paper saying that the DFL's 
hygiene concept includes a ban on mascots in stadiums. So it means that the Bundesliga clubs can't have their mascots in the stadium, especially if they are live animals, which is the problem that Cologne have got because they've got a live goat, which is not going to be allowed to go to the game between Cologne and Mainz. It will be the first time that Hennes isn't allowed to go to a game since 2008, which I, I think was probably before it was born or when it was born. So there's no goat. And it's a big goat as well. No, no goat at Cologne this weekend. I mean, that's disappointing. Well, it takes me back, actually, because I remember me and you having a very serious conversation right at the start of this um, pandemic. About goats? And my big, my big concern was, how are we going to get the goat into the stadium? And, you know, sadly, it's not going to happen. I mean, <laughs> listen, if that's all we've got to worry about, then I think the Bundesliga is in pretty good fettle. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm worried, though. I mean, maybe the, the, the goat is such a lucky charm for Cologne that, that without it they're going to be in serious trouble I mean if they lose this game against Mainz who are let's be honest about it you know not the greatest team in the league struggling at, towards the bottom then there could be a protest amongst the supporters to get the GOAT back in next week I thought Lionel Messi was considered by most as, as the GOAT but maybe we, we know differently now well the greatest mascot of all time is clearly the Cologne GOAT uh, any other mascot stories, by the way, don't don't be afraid to get in touch at Sam Matterface on Twitter. Right, uh, what have you got planned for the rest of the week? Uh, what have I got planned for the rest of this week? Well, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm preparing for the Bundesliga. I've got some German beer on order. I'm going to watch as much of that <laughs> well, as I possibly when can. When someone says, I'm preparing for the German Bundesliga, I thought maybe you're sort of studying one of the teams or watching some previous matches. No, you thought that meant to order German beer. What German it, it, beer is it? Do you know? Uh, some kind of pills now, which is not normally my tipple of choice, but you know, when in Rome or Berlin in this case. Yeah, not yet. Okay, uh, Matterface quiz on Friday night. Uh, looking ahead to the weekend, I'll be doing the Saturday sessions this weekend with some Bundesliga at the core of it as well with Perry and with Stuart Pierce. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll speak to you next week. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. 